Uh, Jose preached last night at sunrise and did an awesome job. Uh, he said, here, you guys are going through a vision series, so I listened to last week's podcast, kind of got an idea. I told him, we're in the book of Matthew, you're stuck with the transfiguration. And he did an excellent job. He's a great communicator. This morning, I met him in the parking lot over there. He had been here, I was coming, and I, you know, I just prayed with him and then uh, sent uh, him off. But I drove off and one of our parking guys said, where are you going? And I said, well, I'm preaching over at, uh, tw- uh, you know, the, other, the 26 West. He goes, oh, that Jesus guy's coming. It's kind of cool. I didn't have the heart to break him. He's no longer the Jesus guy. He's the 26 guy. He used to be the solid guy. You know what I mean? And um, so uh, he's all of those things and more. Um, hey, whenever I speak at a place, which I'm incredibly honored to be here, I want to get to know people. So help me out. How many of you are party people. You really enjoy a party. Raise your hand. Okay, well, good. Some of you don't just raise your hand. You raise your voice. The rest of you are in church and you're afraid. It's like, if I raise my hand, will elders come and pray over me? You know what I mean? Let me do it again. How many of you enjoy a good party? Okay, all right. So help me out. Do me a favor. Turn to the person next to you. Listen to them as they describe what they like about a good party. And then you share. What do you like about a party? And what is your neighbor like? Okay, okay. I didn't give you permission to have a party. I just asked you a question. So help me out. What do you like about a good party? Food. Yes. Yes. As you can tell, I go to too many parties. I'm struggling on that these days. Food is a good part of a party. What else? The people. Excellent. The people. Right. Something else? Music. Actually, that's awesome. My wife likes the games. She's all about that. Now, I grew up in a a theme, a a row of Christianity that never really thought of parties as a good thing. In fact, they looked down on certain activities, uh, like parties, uh, like dances, things like that. So if you were spiritual, you didn't do those kinds of things. And what really wasn't overtly taught but was lived out was that if you wanted to be the peak of spiritual maturity, you would be boring. And you would have all this knowledge and you would know everything, but you wouldn't be any fun because that's how they preached about Jesus. The Jesus that was presented in the churches that I went to as a child was a boring Jesus, very spiritual, very intellectual, had all the answers, but he wasn't really approachable. He probably didn't laugh, never smiled, uh, but if you needed something, you could go to him. Uh, But then I did a really cool thing. I encourage everybody to do it. I read the Bible um, and it messed me up. It really did because all that I had been taught wasn't quite shown up in the Bible in the way I had been taught. And, And I'm seeing different things show up and I start walking through the scriptures and I discover Jesus loved a good party because he loved people. In fact, it's, he loved food. He was accused of being a glutton, right? Uh, you know, he loved just being around people. And as I started to reread the Bible, especially the Gospels, the stories of Jesus, with that in mind, man, I got a whole new understanding of Jesus, the Son of God. He actually loved to be around people. People loved to be around him. And he wasn't always teaching a Sunday school class, you know. 
He wasn't always preaching a sermon. He was enjoying people. See, my strain of Christianity that I began with as a child was I went to a Wesleyan church. It was a pilgrim holiness in Indiana where my grandparents went and they had a list of rules. They were very, very clear on the expected rules of behavior. Now, years before, my mom jettisoned from that church because of that. No makeup, no jewelry, you know, your dress had to go below the floor. You know, you couldn't go bowling, couldn't go to movies. That, that's kind of the ultimate expression of spirituality is if you were bland, you know, because God's bland, I guess. Jesus was bland. And, and then uh, moving to California, I ended up in an Assembly of God church and I discovered quickly they had a, a set of rules of behaviors. And then we left that church and ultimately I came to Christ at 15 in a Baptist church. And need I say it, they had a set of rules of behavior, right? They ex had expectations of what you would look like, how, what you would do, what you wouldn't do. And, and I began to wonder as a teenager, what is it with religious people and the rules? There's something about religion that creates this whole set of rules. And I began to deconstruct a lot of what I thought about Christianity as I started reading the gospels. And I, I made some pretty... Um, wonderful discoveries. And one day I was a senior pastor at this point. I had gone through almost 10 years of being a youth pastor and stepped into senior ministry. And um, I encountered Jesus in this text. And I want to read it to you. It's actually uh, two verses from John. I'm in the gospel of John reading through. And you got to understand, I had spent the first 30 years of my life creating behavioral rules and living up to those. That was my way of spirituality. And then I see this as John presents Jesus. He says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father. And here it was full of grace and truth. And I had read the Bible through. I read the Bible through every year and I'd read it for many times, but I tell you, I missed it. But I got stuck on that. I stopped full of grace and truth. And then a few verses down in verse 17, John says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, at that time, I had just started preaching. And so, uh, you know, I was in this series on the family. You got to understand, when I was a youth pastor, I wasn't even married. So I knew everything about having kids. I was an expert on raising teenagers. And then I was brand new married and I became a senior pastor. So I was an expert at marriage and the family. I knew everything. I had all the truth and I had this great series presented. It was about the family and all these things. And I had read this text the week prior and I get up, I had helped out with worship and I get up to the platform there and I start to introduce my awesome message about God's vision for marriage and the family. And this gal walks in and there were a lot of people like here and there was just a, a couple chairs up in the front. And so this grandma walks in, comes down, big blonde hair, real vivacious, you know, smiling, excited. She'd been coming for a few weeks, wearing a white top, yellow skirt. You could not miss her. And she walks down there and I, I'm up there and I'm thinking about this awesome truth that people can't wait to hear. And she shattered my time because I had seen her in the paper and I'd seen her husband in the paper the month before and I made the connection who she was. Her husband had been 
in a road raid incident a decade prior and uh, in an accident had shot someone, hid that fact, just a whole complicated series of events. It was just then getting out. He was going to be sentenced and they're attending the church and she's there. And I got up there and, and this was only two times I know epiphany God spoke to me. It was like, who cares what you have to say? This gal doesn't care. Great truth, James. Good job. Nobody cares. And it just, it, it just deeply shattered me as I realized that I didn't have love. I had truth. I didn't have grace. And so it started me on a whole journey of figuring out why I was the way I was as a, as a follower of Christ and then as a pastor and a church leader and what our church was looking like. And man, it scared me. You know, there are basically couple kinds of churches. One is a truth church. And I had been all about a truth church. I was a truth person. I was raised a truth person. It was all about the truth, nothing but the truth. And, and it's easy to build a church all around truth with a capital T. All you have to do is just teach and preach the Bible and build up the expectation level, begin to set rules, begin to set expectations, and you can build a truth church. But what I discovered as a participant in that vein of churches as a teenager and younger and then as a young adult was that the, the problem of being in an all-truth church is that one day you look in the mirror and you realize you don't even match up. There's no way you obey all those rules. You, you just can't follow all that. And so you do one of two things. You either bail out and leave or you do what most truth people do. I did you start to lie and you become a hypocrite and you pretend and that's really easy. It's easy to become a hypocrite in an all-truth church. On the other hand, it's really easy, especially today, to build an all-grace church. Uh, a grace church is the kind of church that there are no rules. There's just hugs. There's just welcomes, right? And, and you, you talk about the love of God and, and you're just always God is love and, and God is here and he embraces all of us. There's never anything that God would ever say negative about you. It doesn't matter what your situation, your condition is because God accepts everybody as they are and doesn't ask anything of them. And man, that feels warm and you just love that, right? But then one day the problem with that church is you realize you might want to read the Bible. And that messes you up as a grace person because the Bible has rules, has laws, has commands, has expectations. But not expectations so that you can actually validate yourself in the view of God. Like somehow by obeying the rules, you get to a relationship with God. And so some of us are truth people and some of us are grace people. Some of us, I confess, by nature, I fall on this side. I'm a compliant person. As a kid, I didn't overtly rebel against my parents. Oh, but inside I did. But you know, everybody looked at me and said, good kid, right? And, and I, I'm really concerned about truth and justice and the American way. And, um, and I, I love these things. And some of you, you're more grace people. And you hug people and you love people and you have great relationships with people all around you that are completely radically different from you. Um, so let's take a poll. Let's find out. Okay, so how many truth people are, do we have here this morning? Excellent, excellent. Okay, how many grace people do we have? Okay, some of you don't even know yet. Okay, all right. Here's, here's the point. 
The point is, is that Jesus was full of both. Jesus was full of grace and he was full of truth. And that's my struggle. And maybe that's yours. That's the struggle of the church in America today. How to be full of grace and how to be full of truth. Randy Alcorn did a great job. He wrote a little book on this uh, a couple years ago. He said, truth without grace crushes people and ceases to be truth. That was my church experience. Grace without truth deceives people and ceases to be grace. I think today there are churches that are doing that. They're all about grace, but never bring truth. And so they're deceptive. Truth without grace degenerates into judgmental legalism. Grace without truth degenerates into deceitful tolerance. We who are truth oriented need to go out of our way to affirm grace. We who are grace oriented need to go out of our way to affirm truth. And so as I think about your congregation, 26 West, where Jesus is a solid rock. I love you guys. Been around a long time here. This is great. Um, what would it look like for 26 West to be the embodiment of grace and truth in our culture today, in our community today, in our city, in our schools, in our businesses, in our neighborhoods? What would it look like for this church, and I don't mean a building, I mean a people, individuals here, the followers of Christ, to really go out and commit this next season to understand what side you naturally fall on, whether it's truth or grace, and figure out how to also be the other. Because our world needs to see Jesus full of grace and full of truth. Truth has worn people down and pushed them out the door. Grace has held on and hugged people and welcomed them, but failed to point them to Jesus, the truth, the way, the life. So I wonder, as I'm struggling through this, I'm reading through this years ago, what does it look like? How do you do this? And then I discover a few verses down in John chapter 3, after verses 16 and 17 and him talking to Nicodemus, Jesus, it says this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now there's a funny little word. It's uh, the words that we wrap around, spend time with people. And it's a Greek word. It means, it's diatribo and it means this. Everybody do this right now. Just do this. Okay, this is what Jesus did with people. He rubbed through the skin. I like that. Jesus, full of grace and full of truth, he hung out with people and he rubbed through the skin. We would say he rubbed shoulders with, he spent time with. Jesus, God in the flesh, full of grace and truth, showed up and he exhibited that in all of his relationships. Jesus walked this earth and he did this. And he did this with people that were far from God far from the truth crowd. Uh, let me think about this. Help me with this. Who are some of the people that Jesus did this with? Anybody? Tax collectors. Yeah, we all have paying taxes. I understand that. Um, some of us, you know, just 
really hate it and maybe the people that represent, but it's a whole other level in the Jewish culture at the first century. The tax collectors were the ones that didn't just collect taxes, they turned on their nation because it was Rome, the overlord, the kingdom that had a Caesar as Lord and King who pulled money from God's people. And they hated that because every time they paid taxes, it was a reminder they were not free and they were giving their money, God's money, to a corrupt empire. And then as a tax collector, you were turning against your own people. So all through the New Testament, the gospel stories, you see tax collectors as the lowest of the low in the country. The lowest, Matthew was one of the tax collectors who follows Jesus. I'm sure that had to be tough because one of Jesus' followers was also a zealot. A zealot was the ones that hated Rome and they would go around with a knife. They were the religious extreme terrorists of the day and they would go around and they would kill people who were siding with Rome. Can you imagine Matthew sleeping that first night out in the countryside as one of Jesus' followers, just keeping an eye open for, you know, that zealot Simon? Because you never know, you know, is he going to finally get it done? Jesus shows up. He hangs out with tax collectors. He goes to Matthew's house. There's a party. Jesus is partying with Matthew, the tax collector, and all the other tax collectors show up. Religious people are in, just have a fit. And then we see in Luke where Jesus is coming into Jericho and there he is. And he looks at this short little tax collector up in a tree. And he goes, hey, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to go hang out and have a meal with you. Jesus spent time with tax collectors. People on the other side. Anybody else? Who did Jesus spend time with? Prostitutes. Exactly. Prostitutes. Now, obviously, there are religious rules in that day and age. But again, these women had sold their bodies to sexuality and they were the lowest of the low. And Jesus spent time with them. In fact, talk about scandalous. In that culture, in that day and age, men did not spend time with women. Husbands with wives, but that's it. There were rules. There were social constructs. You did not, as a rabbi, spend time with a woman. And now Jesus has prostitutes that have joined his band of disciples. And women are now walking along the roads with Jesus and he's elevating them and he's loving them and he's restoring them to wholeness. Prostitutes, who else did Jesus spend time with? Samaritans. Samaritans. Again, this is a racial issue. Someone across the racial divide and they hated the Samaritans with a holy racial hatred because they had uh, given themselves over to a, a false system. The Assyrians had moved in and you can read it in the Old Testament. And basically they were the ones that were on the other side of the tracks. And you did not hang out with that group because you, you were righteously racist, racist. And you could justify your racism with God's truth or you at least thought. And so you didn't spend time with Samaritans. And Jesus did. Uh, he, he elevates a Samaritan as the hero in this story of the Good Samaritan. It just would have blown everybody's circuits at that time that the hero was a Samaritan. The Samaritans weren't heroes, they were demons. He, he spent time with the woman at a well. He had to go there and he goes outside this town of Sychar and he's sitting there and she comes and he has this interaction. The disciples had gone into the town to buy food because everybody's hungry. And then they come back out and they're shocked that he spent time with the woman as a rabbi at the well. He should have backed up, given her 20, 30 feet, let her do her business and go. No, Jesus engages her, asks for help, reveals weakness to her, a need he has. He's tired, he's thirsty. 
the end result is she goes back into that same town and, and, and the guys, the, the disciples, they went in and got their happy meals and they came back. She goes and gets all of her lost friends because I'm imagining she knew a lot of lost people in that town, right? Pretty immoral woman. And they stream out and Jesus stays in that town. You just didn't do that for fear of your life. And the whole town, it says, came to Christ. Samaritans. Who else did Jesus spend time with? The sick. Oh man, Jesus was always healing people. He was always going around and he felt the burden of their pain. And he walks into an area and, and, and he has such compassion on people. They're like sheep without a shepherd and he heals them and he loves them. He feeds them. He cares for them. In fact, Isaiah says he'll take on their sickness, infirmities, and he carries that on himself and he loves people. He heals the paralyzed. And these four guys bring their friend on a mat and drop him down through the roof. That'd be an awesome church service right there when everything opens up and, you know, and, and it's like a little safe co field just spreads for just a bit. And the guy, and then Jesus, you just know that's the talk of the town, but he loves the sick people. Anybody else Jesus spends time with? Exactly. I, uh, I heard leper. Okay. Lepers talk about physical deformity and fear. If you're a leper, you're kicked out. You're on the outskirts of town. You live in a leper colony because you're contagious. You, you've got this ultimate cootie, right? And you're going to give this to other people. And so you isolate. And then, you know, you're deformed and physically. And, and in that day and age specifically, you know, man, your, your body's falling apart. There was no cure known to mankind. And, and then if you did venture out on the roads to go from town to town, you would have to shout out. Talk about shamefulness. Talk about pain and sorrow. You'd have to shout out to everybody, unclean, unclean. Talk about the scarlet letter you would wear on your chest. Everybody knew your sickness. And Jesus came up and you know what Jesus did? This is so cool. He didn't just heal lepers. He touched lepers. He physically touched lepers. Jesus went around and he healed all kinds of diseases. I love this story. Uh, Jesus healed the demon possessed. Now I used to be a youth pastor and that's middle schoolers. Um, and I worked with a lot. No, sorry. I have three teenage boys and they're in that age so I can testify. Um, but Jesus gets in a boat with his disciples. Now you got to understand his disciples, uh, the Bible scholars say, were probably just teenagers they didn't have long flowing beards yet. Uh, they're teenagers, Peter being the oldest, be, the only one that we know is married. Okay, and so he gets in a boat and he heads to the other side of the lake. That's a code for we're going to the Decapolis, the lost people, the Greek speaking people, the heretics, the ones that nobody wants to spend time with. There's pigs over there. Pigs symbolize the ultimate of unclean in their culture and they get in the boat and they cross over the sea and they get there. And as they show up, this demon possessed guy rushes them. And if these teenage disciples hadn't freaked out yet, you know, they're wetting their robes at this point because this guy is screaming out of his mind, demon possessed. Who are you, Jesus? Why are you coming here? What have you to do with us? And Jesus spends time with this guy. The demons are cast out into the pigs. The pigs fall into the water. And look at this, this guy, what does the Bible, the other gospels say? He was insane. He cut himself. He cut himself. He went around at night screaming. 
He lived among dead bodies and tombs. You know he had to be the talk of the town. You know the kids had to have songs and stories about him. You know that everybody had to be afraid of this guy. And then what Jesus does, heals him, his mind, and he's seated there. He, he went around naked. Now he's wearing clothes. What a beautiful picture. But Jesus went to the other side of the lake to spend time with this demon-possessed guy, and Jesus healed him. I think in a very real way, all of those kinds of situations are still in our culture. Metaphorically, all those people still exist all around us. And if we are church people who are all about truth and we isolate ourselves from those people, then we're more like the Pharisees than we are like Jesus. We, we love our truth and we love our gatherings and we love our songs and we love our stuff that's all about God. But Jesus isn't welcome because he's out with the hurting and the broken. There's a little thing that Jesus says a couple times that it really helped me out on this. He says this, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It's kind of weird, you know, it's kind of cryptic. Last night and this weekend, Jose preaching over there is like, thanks, James, for giving me the transfiguration. That's a tough one, you know. But a couple weeks ago, I, we were in Matthew and I preached this and it's like, what in the world is the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees? That's just bizarre. I'd never understood that. So I dig into it and yeast, of course, is this little thing in the Pharisees and the Sadducees. What is it? Well, the rabbis would talk about yeast as this symbol of this little sin that begins to take root in your heart that grows into something full-blown. It's like, oh, okay, I get more of it. I get a little bit. Of it. How many of you have ever watched Inception? Christopher Nolan, you like that movie? I love that movie. My boys, we love that movie. My wife hates it, so we watch it all the time. And, um, and, and, and it's this idea that you can plant an idea in someone and without them ever, ever, ever knowing it, it grows into this full-blown direction of life. That is what Jesus is saying. Who are the Pharisees? The Pharisees are the legalists. They're the people that are all truth. He says, beware of the yeast. What's the yeast? The yeast is this, is the idea, the very basic idea that by obeying the truth, by obeying the laws, you can bring honor to God and somehow make it to God. That is, that's wrong. All of us are lost and hurting and broken apart from Jesus. But the Pharisees had their legalistic laws. And I confess, I, that was me. I had fallen into the yeast of the Pharisees and it had grown in my heart. The, the Sadducees, what's the yeast of the Sadducees? Well, they're not legalists. They're people that give license to sin. They're the ones that are in control of the temple. If you know anything about the Sadducees, they're in a relationship with Rome they are hanging out with the Herodians, the people that love the power, that love the authority. They're, they're actually assimilating with their culture. They don't really love God, but they control the worship of God. And so they line their pockets with the money of the worshipers and they're happy. They love Rome because it keeps them in their affluent lifestyle. And so Jesus says, beware of both of those. Beware of legalism that will creep into your heart to make you think that just by truth alone, you'll make it to God. Beware of this 
this license to sin that you will think you can go and do whatever you want to do and just give a prayer and bring your sin bucket to God and dump it out and you feel good and you can do anything you want and God's never going to say no to that and you can just live your life and you will assimilate into the culture. Jesus wants us to be grace and truth. What would it look like for this congregation, 26 West, to go out into this community and find the hurting and broken, find the, the lepers of our day? In our, our church over at Sunrise, we've identified a group of people that they don't have a lot of love because of our ex-prisoner ministry and uh, service we have for them. We reach out to a lot of sex offenders. And um, I can proudly say some of my close friends are on the sex offender registry list. And I know them and I know how God saved them and changed them. And I spend time with them. Do you know anybody that would be a, a leper in our day and age? Do you know anybody that's poor? I don't mean you, you drive by them on the freeway there and you hand them a power bar or McDonald's you know, gift card or whatever but you invite them into your home and you spend time with them? Do you in invite anybody that's so hurting and broken that they violated every rule and yet even though you love Jesus, you're spending time with them and introducing them to Christ? Jesus says, be full of grace. Be full of truth. You, you, you grace people. Are you hanging out with truth people? Because you need it. You really do. Are you in the word of God? Man, I'm a Bible guy. I love the scriptures. Every morning I get up and read it. I just find such joy in it. And I, I try to spend time with Jesus in the scriptures. Are you spending time with people in the word of God, in your community, in your group? Are you devouring God's truth and living it out in our culture? Jesus is inviting us not to fall on one side or the other, but to come into the middle because that's who he was and that's what he did and that's what he wants us to be and what he wants the world to see about us. As we walk this journey, as we do this path, as we kind of walk this, and it's, to be honest with you, it's kind of difficult because we don't get it all right. I would say this, whatever side you find yourself falling on, just, just admit it. I confess that I'm a, a truth person. I'm James and I'm a legalist. In my heart, I just, I gravitate that way. I hate it in myself now that I see it, but I have to confess. And maybe some of you over here, you're like a gracer and us legalists look at you with like, gosh, you guys are such losers in the Bible. You just, you know, you, you know what I mean? You know, that's from my perspective. Okay, so God loves you. Um, and I'm trying, but um, you know, it's, it's like, just who are you? And this congregation needs both because this community needs both. But what would it look like for you as a participant, as a member of this church, to take both grace and truth hand in hand and be full of both of them like Jesus was? I years ago had a gal that stalked me, which is surprising to me. Definitely, if you look at me, surprising to you. And... Um, <laughs> And, and it was really weird because she knew all about me. She had pictures of me. She'd taken off of Facebook and the internet and she had pasted them in. She, it was a bad Photoshop job, that's for sure. And she was putting them in there and she had them around her house and she knew the floor plan of my house. She knew my schedule. It was creepy. 
She knew all about me, but she didn't know me. My friends, Jesus doesn't need stalkers. Don't just study him. Spend time with him. And spend time with the people that he spent time with. Imagine what it would look like for you if you were a truth person to build a friendship with someone that is so far from God that you just don't have any answers on how to work that one out. And just go love them. Just go love them and be grace. Imagine if you're a grace person and you have a lot of lost friends, probably that's kind of how it works. People love you, you love them. And you had the courage to open up the truth of God to them. And you talked about Jesus as the way, the truth in the life, that there's no other way. What would it look like for you to take a step toward the middle? Because that's what our city needs. That's what our community needs. Hillsborough needs not, not just more churches, but more followers of Christ that look like Christ, that permeate this culture full of grace and full of truth. Not pretending to have all the answers, but so quickly pointing them to Jesus. Let me pray for you right now. Father, I think about this community and this gathering here and what it would look like this week to go out and be grace and truth, to be full of grace and full of truth. And so we confess to you that we're probably on one side or the other and we need the other in our lives. Speak to us through your words, through your spirit, through your church. What would it mean for us to come more toward the middle and with the balance of grace and truth, full of grace and truth, see Christ lifted up in our city, in our county, in our lives. May that be the representation of Jesus that comes from 26 West in the days and the months and the year to come. We pray in your name.